Hi, welcome to Building a Business That Lasts. My name is Jay Owen, and I'm your host. On a quest towards stories, tips, and ideas that will help you grow a business without being stressed out, worn out, and ready to quit. Each week, I'll interview other business owners who have successfully grown businesses of all types for many years. It's my hope that these conversations will help you build a business that lasts. From corporate executive to thriving entrepreneur, Mark Hutto shares his story of transition and growth with Reveal Global Intelligence on this episode. He's grown this company with a distributed team for over a decade. In this conversation, we talk about his transition into business ownership, how he made it through the early years, and the keys of mission and values that really helped keep his team focused. Without further delay, here's my conversation with Mark. Hey, Mark, thanks for being on the show. Hey, thanks, Jay. So one of the things that I love about this podcast is getting to connect with people all over the place who uh, have been in all different kinds of businesses and been able to last the test of time. And, and you've certainly done that. You know, we just kind of uh, went through your bio a little bit. And, and now I'd love for you to kind of just give your own personal take of, you know, kind of the business that you're in now, what kind of caused you to start that and, and kind of where your kind of journey has come uh, and kind of a quick, you know, 60, 90 second synopsis from your perspective uh, to bring you business-wise to where you are today. Okay, sure. The, uh, the business is, uh, it's called Reveal Global Intelligence. And uh, we are a non-traditional uh, recruiting firm or search firm in that we bill hourly for our services versus a placement fee. It changes the dynamics entirely from a candidate's perspective and from a client's perspective. So we exist for business leaders, whether those are in a corporation or a small to mid-sized business owner who just can't get the talent equation right. They know all parts of their business and they just struggle with hiring and hiring at the level they would like to be hiring. So hiring's hard. We make it easy. Been in business for about 12 years, and uh, we've got a, a team that's up and down the East Coast, but we've had a presence in other countries, and we've recruited in 43 countries so far. Wow. So you have a distributed team. You've got people kind of spread out a little bit. What made you to kind of come to the decision to say, hey, I'm, I'm comfortable having people spread out versus a centralized location? Because obviously that's a big question for a lot of folks one way or the other. There's all kind of opinions on that. I'd love to hear kind of what your thoughts are. Uh, what brought us to it was, or me to it, was necessity and trust. And they go hand in hand uh, in my particular uh, case because the we had an office in, in Charlotte for years. And just in the past two to three years, I guess it was, we, we went virtual because I kept hiring people that weren't in Charlotte. Mm-hmm. And we had space for 20 people and we had three people in the office and the rest of them were outside of Charlotte. And and, I, and again, I trust those those people. So, and they're people that I've known, and and uh, some that I was introduced to through people I, I know, or they're just people that engender trust pretty quickly. Um, and trust is uh, number one on our core values. And uh, when you work with people that just have a good, strong work ethic and are trustworthy, you don't worry about the virtual stuff that most companies have to wonder about and worry about. And also just out of necessity for, you know, just being 
closer to aging parents and so forth and taking care of life needs at the same time of taking care of business needs. Sure. It's interesting because I have kind of had the opposite trajectory. We've been in business for almost 20 years, but the first 16 of that, we were totally distributed and we didn't actually go to a centralized office until about a year and a half ago. We still have developers that are spread out all over the place, but centralized team here in Northeast Florida. So it's, it's kind of Interesting. I always have been, I've been a huge fan and proponent of having a distributed team. And for anybody out there that is kind of curious about some ideas about one of my favorite books, I don't know if you've uh, read this, Mark, but it's uh, Remote by Jason Freed, the guy that owns, uh, runs 37, it was 37 Signals, is now called Basecamp. Have you ever seen that book? No, but I'm familiar with uh, Basecamp and uh, Jason's name sounds familiar. You'd probably enjoy that book. It's it's really interesting. They do a good job with it. They kind of split it up into a lot of almost little short stories or short snippets. And some of it's kind of uh, heavily opinionated for them, but it's stuff that's worked for them. They have a central office in Chicago, but the majority of their team is spread all over the place, uh, all over the world, actually. So it's it's kind of neat. That, that book I just love as it comes to distributed workforce. I'd like to circle back a little bit, though, because you mentioned core values. And, and those, that's one of the things that's really important to me. Um, it has been really important in growing uh, our business. And I heard for years and years, this whole idea of mission, you know, vision and values and how important it was and never really executed on it myself until, you know, I don't know, maybe five, six years ago, we really started to take it more seriously. And that's made a big difference for us. I'd love to hear your perspective on that and how, you know, having listed core values, I'm actually looking at them on your website right now, have made a difference for you and your expectations, both on your team and the people that you work with. I spent 15 years in a corporation where I probably had a pretty jaded view of vision, mission, values and stuff because they were, it just felt like a, you know, something we got to do. And earlier this year, I hired a guy that uh, actually tried to recruit me away from that corporation before I started this company and made an indelible impression upon me. And I uh, reached out to him, like I said, just a few months ago, earlier this year and and hired him as an advisor. He built up a company to a really from zero to huge and sold it to a much larger company and doesn't work anymore. Kind of uh, one dream of most business owners, Mm -hmm. but he was unbelievably convincing in how important that is in a small to mid-sized business. And so we worked really hard to, I mean, it was me mostly, but with him, you know, pushing and driving, on how to get the language and the essence and the ethos of it all correct on the vision and mission. But a couple of years ago, we hammered out core values as a team. And uh, so the difference that it's made is we find a way to talk about it and show that it is already in us and, and amongst us, these core values. And it's just about naming them when you see them. Mm-hmm. So it, it, the core values, I think when they're done well are aspirational and also already reflect who you are. So, you know, we summon them up kind of regularly and, and, you know, it's, uh, it's pretty authentic compared to what I think I felt, you know, maybe a little more again, jaded in a, in a larger organization. Yeah. I think I, I kind of came from the opposite background because I never have been a part of a larger organization. I started the business really young, uh, when I was 17 actually. And so I never had that. And so I always had almost this opposite chip on my shoulder about it in the kind of this mentality of, well, that's something that big corporations do. They just stick on a wall mm. and they don't actually mean. And, and so I just never did it because I felt like, you know, I got this own, my own entrepreneurial way of doing things. But Dave Ramsey's organization really kind of drove me back to that uh, quite a few years ago and started mm-hmm. to be more intentional about it. And, and I think what you said is really important in that 
true core values really are things that already exist and you're just putting a name on them and, and, and revealing them to some extent versus, you know, purely aspirational values where it's like, Hey, this is something we want to attain, but maybe we're not quite there yet. And those are okay things to have written down too. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that's, that's really, it's been critical for us. I think there's something to be said about rituals and values and vision and mission. You know, we were raised to pledge allegiance to the flag as a ritual because it's important to re- kind of renew our vows. It's rituals take many forms, prayer, stretching before you exercise. You know, there's there's a lot of rituals that are uh, practiced because they're important. And uh, and I think this this whole notion of core values falls in that in that same ritual sp- space. Yeah, I love that. I mean, I think that the idea of of being intentional about and I think the biggest thing for us and our team also with some of these things is, is being willing to take the time to just step back a little bit, pause, and ask the question, who are we and why do we do what we do? Because a lot of times people don't have the answers to that. It's like, well, I'm just trying to make some money. I mean, I get that. Everybody wants to make money. But, but really, who are we and why do we do what we do? I think that those you know, things kind of lend to that. So it's neat for me to see that on your, on your website. Thinking about your kind of growth, you, you mentioned that you kind of started out in the larger corporate world and then kind of uh, formed your own company later on. Uh, what was that transition like and, and what made you say, hey, you know what, I'm ready to kind of have my own thing to put my name behind versus staying in, in the trenches in, in the corporate environment? Uh, what was it like? Scary. Um, scariest thing I ever did was step out to do this. The scariest thing I can imagine now is putting a resume together. <laughs> I don't want to ever go back to putting a resume together. I love this, you know, the business ownership life. And I guess the catalyst behind it is um, a few things. I was kind of the last holdout in the family. So my parents had a, their own business. My brother had his own business. I was the only corporate guy. I, I couldn't see myself retiring in a big corporation. Having been in HR for 15 years in a large company, I kind of saw I don't know, just very few people, you know, go out gracefully in a big corporation. And I just wanted to feel like I was having a little more impact uh, personally. And, uh, you know, the um, uh, the desire to provide for for others is a real strong driver for me. So um, so those are, you know, some of the, the drivers to and, and I wanted to test my mettle. Mm, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's like I've, I've been teaching and leading recruiting in a corporation for so long, I thought, I wonder if I really still have it, you know, and if, if I can survive out there with, you know, having to go earn it every day. So it was, you know, that, that was sort of a challenge, you know, at the time as well, still is. Sure. I mean, I think it's always a challenge, but I think that also what I always say is I'm the most uncomfortable when I'm the most comfortable. And what I mean by that is when I start mm-hmm. getting really comfortable, I start thinking I'm missing something. There's something that right. I'm not looking at that I'm not, I don't have my eyes on. And uh, that's always when I'm the most uncomfortable. Uh, one of the things I'd love to hear you talk a little bit about is I noticed on your on your site, you talk about purpose-driven recruitment. And I think that's kind of an interesting way of phrasing things. And I'd love to hear your kind of summation of that and why, why that's important to you and to your company and how it could affect other businesses. Sure. And it's certainly inspired by a book called Purpose Driven Life mm-hmm. by an author uh, named Rick Warren. But uh, I think in, uh, this is in contrast to most of the recruiting I was taught or trained or read about where you pitch a job. Just the notion of that sounds like spin or something, you know, sounds a little less than authentic. And, you know, the absurdity of it, if you think about it, recruiters call people and say, hey, I got a great outstanding opportunity for you. 
and let's talk about upheaval in your life right now. You know, it just sounds absurd, but that's kind of the way it goes. And, and uh, so we, we sort of flip that around and say, look, let's just talk in absolute, you know, authentic terms with human beings, right? So you're talking to a company that's in need of uh, talent and you have to help them understand what do you offer? You know, what are the things that, that you offer from a compensation perspective, from an environment, culture, work-life balance? What's your entire employment value proposition? Let's help you get in touch with that. And then when we call candidates, we're saying to them, let's be rational and say, you know, there's a time that you will likely make a change. You will likely not retire in the job you're in or with the company you're with. So it's all about the circumstances that have to be in place for you to drive that change which is a better position to be in than having change happen to you. You're in a position of strength when you're the one being asked to come to the, to the conversation instead of applying to a job. Nothing wrong with being an applicant. I think we've all been that, most of us. So what we do with the candidate is talk to them about, A, we don't get paid more or less if they get hired because we're on an hourly model. And B, you know, there's five things that over 25 plus years of doing this, I think that it all comes down to five things that all of us care about. And that's compensation benefits. Number two, the meaning or the impact of the work. Number three, the environment. That's that big one, culture and people and the physical environment, work-life balance. Four is opportunity for personal or professional growth. And number five is the leadership or management that surrounds you. I know of very few people that could tell you, you know, one, two, three, this is exactly what I need and what I would want before you call me. I've thought about it. I've been waiting on this phone call for you to ask me these questions. Nobody walks around thinking about that. So you have to be able to coach them like a career coach. You have to help them understand, yeah, what is my tipping point, so to speak? What, what circumstances would have to be in place for you to call me? So if you can help someone get clear on that, and if it aligns to what you're client is looking for, then you've got a conversation that needs to happen. Yeah, absolutely. And I think one of the things that's uh, interesting for me in thinking about all that is I, one, I've never used a recruiter, but I'm a pretty small business. There's only 12 of us internally, plus a, a handful of contractors outside of that. But when I think about, you know, one of the most difficult things for me to learn and, and still is many times is that hiring process is hard and finding the right person is hard because you know, I like to compare it to kind of like making a soup. And once you bring a new person, it's like putting a new ingredient in that soup and you are going to change the flavor of that soup when you put something new in it. When I bring a new person onto our team, it's affecting the whole team and it's either going to affect it positively or it's going to affect it negatively and finding that right person and then, you know, making sure that they align in all the right places and that we're a good fit for them and they're a good fit for us is, is I think one of the hardest things that a lot of business owners encounter as they're trying to grow a team. I think that analogy about the soup is delightful. I'm going to steal it, use it. I'll give you credit for a little while, <laughs> sure. but then I'll pretend it's mine. But yeah. And I think a good recruiter, a mature recruiter, and that doesn't mean by years, that means by, you know, just some wisdom and perspective. They see themselves as an aid to the chef, right? And they can recommend the right ingredients, you know, for that soup. But, you know, some recruiters like to, I heard one really uh, great recruiter I respect highly talk about the role as a, as a cultural engineer. Mm. Yeah. You know, you really have to internalize it that way to really understand that 
what it means in action. So. Well, I think, you know, it's interesting just looking at the way it sounds like you put things together, because unfortunately, I know for me personally, a lot of the encounters that I've had with recruiters have been, you know, random unsolicited LinkedIn messages of people, you know, <laughs> just wanting to either, mm-hmm. either try and find somebody for us or push somebody on us or, or whatever else. And it just never right. seems like a good fit because I just really believe a lot of that stuff is about relationship and, and the whole idea of like the purpose driven anything to me makes the most sense because if people aren't motivated, you know, to get behind what they're doing, uh, money makes a difference for sure. M- money makes a difference for everybody, but only for so long and, mm-hmm. and only in a certain context, there have to be other elements involved. And I love kind of that, the, the five points that you talked about that there is more for all of us than just the conversation. Certainly that's part of it, but, but then figuring out what all those other pieces look like and how they line up with a team is really important. Mm-hmm. Yep. One of the things I always like to kind of dig in with folks on the show is things that either have been difficulties for you along the way as you kind of transitioned into growing your own business or maybe some pitfalls that you run into and then how you kind of got out of them because most businesses don't make it past a year. Uh, even fewer make it past five years and very few make it to that decade mark. So what has allowed you to kind of make it through the inevitable rough patches that are always going to show up over a 10 plus year period? So rough patches would be some self-inflicted. So trying to do too many things at once Mm -hmm. is a constant battle for me, chasing too many, catching none, that old adage of chasing too many rabbits. Recession, boy, was that tough. Mm -hmm. And uh, I had a partner in the beginning. I would just say, do your due diligence and, uh, you know, do references. If you choose to go with a partner, if you don't know them very well, just do references. So that was a, a challenge, you know, to uncouple that and learning the language of business. That's been a, a challenge. So I'm a, I think a r- exceptional recruiter who had to learn how to run a business mm. and the advisor that I hired recently never knew recruiting, but built a re- recruiting business because he knew how to run a business. Mm. And, uh, you know, that sometimes I think being a recruiter is a disadvantage to running a recruiting business because you, you work too much in it versus on it. That's always the challenge for the business owner. And so what's, what's helped me through it is unbelievable scaffolding as, uh, it's a great book that I can't remember the name of right now, but it talks about having the right scaffolding around you, which includes insultants. So people who are going to tell you what you need to hear, whether you want to hear it or not, those people in your life that will tell you if you have food on your face, find them, get them closer to you, you know, advisors and scaffolding. So uh, fortunate to have a father who ran an accounting business who has been helpful to, you know, help me read the financials differently than most. So those have been the, the challenges, I'd say. You know, it's interesting. One of the things you talked about there was this idea of kind of working on the business or working on the business instead of working in the business. And right. there's a, yeah. a classic book that I love called E-Myth. And in it, yeah. the author talks about these three different roles. You know, somebody's typically either an entrepreneur, a manager, or a technician. I mean, for me, I was the technician when I started. I built websites. I did design work. But I wasn't ever really great. I, wasn't a, I was never an amazing technician. Business is always kind of the entrepreneur side is where my heart really was. But it, it was interesting for me to see that because you see so many people who are technicians and they're many times really good technicians at what they do, but then they get into the actual business and have to run it. And there's so many things that they didn't plan for. The analogy in the book, he gives a, a lady who runs a cupcake shop or a bakery and she was, everybody always said she had the best cupcakes um, and she should just start a bake shop. And then she did and realized she hated it because 
the business side really wore her down. I think what you're, you're saying there of having bring people alongside you who are able to, you know, kind of compensate your weaknesses and, and provide strength in areas that maybe, you know, you or I aren't strong in. Um, that's been huge for me too. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I can't recommend that to folks who are listening more strongly is be willing to, you know, outsource your weaknesses to some extent. I, I really believe in that idea. Yeah, that's uh, that book is one of my favorite, Michael Gerber. Yep. And uh, the woman in the book is, uh, had a business called All About Pies. Mm, that's what it was. If you recall. Yeah. And I don't read much anymore. I'll get the book to reference it, and then I'll listen on Audible on drives mm-hmm. and so forth, and then mark up the book later when I arrive. But that is an absolute must read, in my opinion, for any business owner. Yeah, that, that's exactly what I do now, too. I'm actually kind of a slow reader, unfortunately. So Audible is great for me. I'll listen to it on there. And then if I really love it, I'll buy the book and go back and highlight and underline the sections that I wanted to cover. Mm-hmm. Two last things I always like to cover uh, as we head towards the end of a conversation. One of them, the first one is the idea of, you know, it's easy as a business owner to be 100% entirely focused on the business all the time. And so there's always this question of work-life balance. I hate the word actually balance. I always say it's a little bit more like a blender in that some days you need a little bit more spinach and some days you need a little bit more fruit, but it's, it all just kind of blends together, whether it's work or life or fun or, you know, hard or easy, it all just kind of blends together. But I'm curious from your perspective, you know, what kind of areas have you, have you kind of found over the years that have allowed you to take the breaks that you need in time to not be totally, you know, obsessed with the business? I know for me, I, I have struggled with that for many years and probably still do if you ask my wife. And so I'm curious, I always like to hear from other people how they manage to mix other things in their life and not be totally focused on the business 24 seven. Wow. That's one I'm still trying to crack too. Um, you know, I, I don't mean to for a minute espouse that I'm great in anything we've talked about, including that one. You know, I just think when you hit the wall, you hit the wall. You got to step away from it. If you're just not feeling it, you know, I might have three or four days a year where I'm just not fit to run a company. <laughs> you know, you just get to where it's like, I got to step away. I'm not thinking straight. I'm not think it's not coming to me like I want it to. And you just got to find a way to get out of uh, out of work that day or for that period. Beyond that, that's sort of the, the rip cord sort of mentality. It's like, you know, what do you do when you really have to, you know, you know react? But other than that, I think it's, you know, not, nothing really uh, earth shattering. It's, you know, get, get, it, get yourself in a different environment mm-hmm. um, if you can. You know, as the owner, go, go work from a different place. If, you know, whatever inspires you. Sometimes it's, you know, when you work from home, Virtually, it's you got to get to a you know one of these day offices or or a Starbucks for some quiet time. You know it's pretty noisy in there, but you can kind of you know just think it. I, I think a little bit differently when I'm in an environment like that. But you know, um, I, I even you know we worked the entire month of uh, March from Key Largo, rented a house and just worked down there from eight to two or three all month. Didn't take a day off, but you know, that's what I mean. You know, Starbucks is sort of a daily, sure. you know, week in week out thing, but, but do something drastic like that. If you can. I always joked when I work from home all the time, it was, I always said the great thing about working from home is that you never have to go to work. The bad thing is you never get to leave. <laughs> exactly. It's always there. But I do think what you're saying is really important. It's kind of having, it's nice to have a place to work in your home, first of all, but then it's also good to just take a break and go work somewhere else. I was, I'm working on a, a book that's titled the same thing as this podcast. And 
Um, the other day I just, I had about three chapters I needed to get done, needed to get the editor by a certain date, didn't have them done. And, uh, I actually went over to a local hotel that has like a really nice lobby, some nice music, good Wi-Fi, and just sat down there yeah. and focused. I mean, I hammered all three chapters out in like, you know, three hours. It was great. Yeah. That's sometimes really helpful. The last thing I always like to hit on is I think that I was at a conference recently and got to hear John Maxwell, who's just a leadership giant. And one of the things he talked about was this idea of intentional personal growth. And so I'm constantly picking other people's brains at the end of podcasts to kind of say, hey, how are you growing personally? Is it podcasts? Is it books? Is there something particularly that you like to read on the internet or is it, is it mentors, other people? Where is it that you kind of go, hey, here's the areas where I'm able to keep growing as a leader so that I can have what I need to feed back into my team, feed back into the company and help things keep growing and last the test of time. Where do you get those resources personally? I would say, you know, I'm a member of this forum group. It's called Renaissance Executive Forums. It's a national organization. They exist in most major cities. And I sit at the table with the same 15 business owners, for the most part, that I've seen and known for years. Um, I've been a part of it for 10 years. And it helps that your mind works differently when you're in that kind of environment. It just, it's that, you know, when you're at a conference or in a class or something and, and, your brain just works a little differently and better in some ways. So that monthly meeting is a great thing that keep you challenged. There's other business owners there that'll call you on whatever they need to call you on. That's a great outlet for me. And, you know, beyond that, I think it's probably from what we just talked about is just being, could you call it well-read or well-listened? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know, cause I'm an audible junkie, but, you know, favorite books, I would say like E-Myth Revisited, like we just talked about, mm-hmm. Execution, Larry Bossidy and Ram Sharan. You have to kind of fit that to, I'd have to fit it to a smaller business, but I've listened to that book at least six times. And uh, Scale, I really have enjoyed Scale, Four Disciplines of Execution. And then the one that, that you recommended actually to a colleague of mine, who's our business manager, Karen, who participates with you, I think, in Entree Leadership, yep. which is another great organization. She comes she comes out of that session frequently with a head full of great ideas and inspiration and renewed sort of, you know, energy. But the book that that you uh, informed us about was Building a Story Brand. I, I will mark that one as the best one of the year yeah, of 2017 great. for me. It is a phenomenal ideology, you know, methodology. But I love the way that uh, Donald Miller lays out the whole backbone of what your your messaging should be about. It's a great book, and I'm taking the, the online course right now, actually. The, the idea of just creating clarity around your message and, and helping people understand what you do, I mean, none of it really is rocket science. Like a lot of my team was reading through, and they're like, it seems like common sense. I'm like, yeah, but that's the best business books sometimes are the ones that seem like common sense, and yet most people are not executing on them. And, and that's what I love about it. As you read it, you just go, well, of course this makes sense. But why aren't we doing it like this? You know, uh, right. really good stuff. Any other parting thoughts before we uh, pack it up for the day? I really appreciate your insight and input. I love having other business owners on and talking about ways to build a business that lasts. Anything else that you'd like to leave with folks or other business owners if you had a chance to speak directly to them? There's this one question that I kind of blend a Stephen Covey and Tony Robbins thing together. Stephen tells the story, but Tony Robbins uh, sums it up with one question, and that is, what else could this mean? Mm. So Covey tells a story about 
uh, leaving the city at the end of a work day, as he'd done every day on the train, gets on the train, it's packed. Everybody's back in the day when you didn't have a personal device in front of you. So everybody's engrossed in their paper or magazine or whatever, trying to stay in their space. And this father gets on the train with these three young kids and they're just raucous as he kept saying over and over again and just, you know, disturbing everyone in their space. And, and the father is just staring at the floor, not really paying attention to what his kids are doing. And Covey sitting there getting more and more annoyed. Doesn't this guy care? Doesn't he pay attention? Is he a bad father? What's going on? And uh, he finally says to himself, he says, I just have to say something. He says, sir, excuse me. And the man looked up from the floor as if he was coming out of a trance and said, yes. And he said, I don't know if you noticed, but your kids are sort of bothering everyone. And could you do something about it? And he said, oh, uh, I'm sorry. We just came from the hospital and their mother died an hour ago. And I'm not sure what to tell them. Mm. And he flipped in the instant from frustration to, you know, how do I help this man? And Tony Robbins tells a similar story, but it's when something confronts you that doesn't make sense and you just say, what else could this mean? It is a great way to overcome things that seem to just be confrontational or a challenge or unfair. It's that sometimes as simple as that car in front of you that's got that blinker on and takes a really slow turn and you're like, come on already, move it. But you're, you've been that person, too, with something in the back that you didn't want to spill, you know, that sort of thing. So that's just a great thing that has, you know, given me – now, I get, that, I get that right about 40% of the time, right? I mean, I remember that question far fewer times than I'd like, but that's a great head cleaner if you think about it. I love that. That's a simple way of, of clarifying a, a video that I mention a lot, which it's uh, – if you haven't seen it, I'll find a link it's sent to you because I love it so much. It's a Chick-fil-A training video. And it shows these people walking into the store and, you know, they're just coming in to buy a chicken sandwich, but above their head, it will have these little bubbles and it'll say something like lost their dog today is in the middle of a divorce, you know, all these kinds of things. Right. And all of a sudden you start to realize, Hey, what I'm working with here is another human being who's going through a whole lot of life right now. And, and I may not be the most important thing in that picture for them today and that's okay. And their response to whatever's going on may not be, you know, the best either. And that's okay. And it's just, that's a great way of clarifying kind of that story a little bit and a lot of other stuff. So I really appreciate you sharing that. I love that. That's right. That's exactly what's going on. It's uh, there's a guy named uh, Peter Block wrote stewardship. Mm -hmm. A quote in his book is the connection precedes the content. Mm -hmm. So until you, you know, you imagine in all walks of business, starting every conversation, well, let's let's get right to it, (laughs) you know, and uh, you don't do that. Like, how was your weekend? And, you know, until you kind of get where someone is, is as they enter into a conversation or into a meeting, it's kind of like a distraction in the room sometimes. Like what's going on with that guy? What's wrong with him? You know, it's a distraction. And so as a, as a a good team will allow that connection to, you know, just to precede the content, they check in before they start talking business. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Mark, thank you so much for being on the show today. I really appreciate it. I think your insights will be helpful to others. Uh, Thanks, Jerry. Listen out there and you want to check out Mark and his company, check them out online at revealglobal.com. I think you'll like what you find, especially if you're uh, looking for a recruiter, uh, take a look at their purpose driven recruitment. Mark, thanks so much for being on the show. Thanks, Jay. I hope this episode has given you some ideas or inspiration that will help you grow your business. If you found it helpful and you know somebody else who might benefit from it as well, I would greatly appreciate it if you would take the time to share this with them, maybe on Facebook or Twitter or LinkedIn, or even shoot an email over to a friend 
uh, with a link to this podcast in it. And if you haven't already, make sure you sign up for our email list at buildingabusinessthatlasts.com.